Welcome to the Wardrobe Muse, helping you dress from the inside out. Feeling wardrobe challenged? Discover your style with me. I love working with women to identify their authentic self through clothing, to craft and maintain simple wardrobes that reflect who they truly are and that work for their lifestyles. To work together, visit me on the web at lastwardrobe.com. Visit lasswardrobe.com. Here's your host, Lisa. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Wardrobe Muse. Today, we have Kristen Lambert, who is founder at Third Piece in Boston. Uh, Kristen is the thoughtful, creative visionary behind Third Piece. As a selfless leader, she is continuously working to inspire her team and those around her. Kristen knew she wanted to create her own path, which led her to this entrepreneurial journey. In observing the struggles of the women in her life by being raised by a single grandmother, Kristen wanted to start a company that uplifted and supported women. Kristen started the third piece after working in finance for over 10 years. And when outside of the third piece studio, Kristen is spending time with her son, Teddy, and husband, Jay. She loves yoga and watching all of Bravo's Housewives. <laughs> And Kristen studied accounting and finance at Bentley University and received her MBA from Northeastern University. Welcome, Kristen. Thanks, Lisa. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is so great. Kristen and I probably met in, I'm going to say maybe 2015 or 2016, because we have a mutual, um, well, it was a colleague of mine and an employee of Kristen's who was doing some of the hand knits. And my colleague, her name is Corinna. Hi, Corinna. Hi, Corinna. Um, <laughs> we love you. She and I had worked for a knitwear company. And so we were really, really into knits and knitwear and helping women navigate how to use that product. And of course, Corinna had mad skills when it came to actually knitting. Uh, I was a wannabe. <laughs> so uh, I started trying to learn how to knit. I'm not I didn't really get there. But the great thing about um, the third piece is after I met Kristen, I continued to follow them on social media. And I would, um, I took my stepdaughter to their pop-up that they had in Chestnut Hill and we bought her a kit and she started learning how to knit. And she's really young. So it was great to see that sort of next generation getting involved in it. And then she's continued to shop in the store. She made uh, her dad, my husband, some awesome things when he was um, having a health issue last year, so she made him a huge, beautiful blanket and a hat. And so there's a real emotional pull to hand knit and cozy, wonderful, both garments and accessories for the home. So that's kind of how I know Kristen, and I'm happy she's here with us. We're going to talk a lot about sustainability today, but I want Kristen to kind of introduce herself again, talk a little bit about your journey and the third piece and all of it. Thanks, Lisa. I know I can't believe it's been that long. It's been over five years since our paths crossed. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing this for a little bit. I've been doing this now for about eight years. Um, I founded Third Piece back in 2012. I had a friend who had showed me some knit pieces that she had made, and I was in my um, mid to late 20s and just got married, just finished grad school and was kind of at that point where I, you know, you start to kind of question the meaning in your life and how you're spending your time. And I knew I wanted to do something. I always had this entrepreneurial desire 
And, um, you know, when I, I, I did a lot of work on Etsy and planning my wedding, and that's when I really kind of fell in love with these talented makers that were putting so much into their craft and, and really like the internet was taking hold and starting to make it accessible for people. And, and Etsy really kind of helped pave the way for independent folks, creative folks that were looking to do something. And um, my business brain was sparked. You know, I was coming out of grad school. I studied, as you said, I studied um, business at Northeastern. And I just really loved this concept. And there was something so beautiful and unique about the product that as a customer, I was so excited about. I had never seen anything like it. Um, so a, a friend of mine, the, the friend that showed me the scarf, we actually started the business together. Um, and it was really just a side project in the first couple years, something that um, I always have really big goals and dreams and visions of what it could aspire to. Um, I'm kind of a go big or go home type person. So uh, mm -hmm. I kind of really went all in from the start and um, started, but uh, you know, I, I'm very realistic. I started small. I kept my day job for the first couple of years, um, really tried to figure out what the business was going to be, what the model was going to be, how I was going to make it a business. Um, obviously, when you think of things that are handmade, making it scalable and making something that could be a bigger venture, um, it's a difficult, it's a bit of a challenge, and I think that's what I liked about it. So it started out just as a small little knitwear label. We were making hats and scarves and um, hiring local knitters. We, the first season, we hired one woman who was essentially the designer, and we would meet in Starbucks and coffee shops, and it was all kind of fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants type of um, energy where we were just, mm. like, having fun with it, and it was just very creative. Um, and it was very different from the corporate life that I was living. So I was just really in this new environment that I really loved. Um, so after that, it definitely transpired. And we, we started getting a lot of traction and seeing how a lot of stores and people in the fashion industry were responding to it. We had probably over a dozen stores that had picked us up within the first six to nine months of starting to hone in on what the first collection was going to look like. And then um, after uh, a casting call, Henry Vendel used to do these casting calls for designers where you would go stand in line in Manhattan and basically wait for your five minutes to shine in front of the buyers and you'd throw your products on the table and they give you a two minute critique and decide whether or not that you have any type of opportunity to move forward. And uh, the buyers were really, really pleased with the products. You know, it's, it's knitwear. It's very tactile. Uh, the good thing is that there, there wasn't a whole lot of people doing knitwear. There was a ton of people doing jewelry and other accessories categories. So we really stood out. We, we Since the beginning, we've always worked with beautiful merino, really high quality um, fibers and, and making sure that the integrity of the garments were what was most important. And it was handmade. And you could just tell that. So um, within a few couple minutes they invited us to come back and then shortly after a couple more trips back and forth and meeting with buyers our first big order with Henry Bendel's came through and that was about nine months of being in business um I you know Love I'm it. a working class I grew up in a working class family outside of Boston so I did not know what Henry Bendel's was um and it wasn't until that I had the experience of going to Manhattan and seeing it to really kind of understand what that means for like designers or people that have studied fashion, people that have that are dying to get their products into these stores very rarely have this opportunity. So the fact that they were acknowledging the work that we were doing and we were just starting out was something that really I was like, wow, I think we might be on to something. 
So that was like the first kind of introduction. And then shortly after is when the realness of trying to make it a business, trying to deliver a product, trying to make a product, all that fun stuff comes together. Um, and then right before we were getting ready to ship the bulk of the orders and get all the yarn we needed, our yarn manufacturer told us that the rest of the yarn wasn't coming in. And we essentially uh, were kind of screwed, so to speak. Um, so that was when, um, we're, we're coming up on our first official year. We don't have access to the yarn and materials that we need. Um, our whole supply chain is basically unraveling. And that's when I realized that in order to really make this a business and make it something that was going to be um, a growth oriented project, I, I needed to figure out the supply chain. I really needed to figure out like where the materials were coming from, how could I control them or have direct access and not be like the fifth person in the supply chain. And, and how could I get as close to the mill as possible to be able to control the quality, control the colors, control all the things that go into making fibers and textiles. Um, and that, and that was when like the pieces of this puzzle started to come together for me and, and really start to legitimize this from being a hobby and a, like a part-time side business to actually being a, a business and something that could be viable one day. Well, you know, it's so interesting, um, Kristen, they obviously saw the talent and the, the, the beauty of a maker product and the quality of that product. So you had them, you know, hook, line and sinker because many, many people, I think they just don't know where their clothes come from. So when they do see something that's handmade, they know it's different, but I think the consumer may not know, and this is where we need to educate them. You know, they may not know the difference, but obviously exactly. those people on the panel could see the unique um, product you were offering and that it could be a great way for their clients to express themselves, you know, a unique expression of their style. I'm sure that's why they, they grabbed hold of it. But then you do mention the reality, which is, you know, why I have this podcast in the first place is what, what's the reality about sustainability? And I think a lot of consumers don't even understand that word. So we should talk about that <laughs> a little bit because again, it's this, it's this big problem. Do consumers know and understand where their clothes come from? Do they understand yeah. the yarn, the materials, the fibers? Talk a little bit about that for our audience. Yeah, I think that sustainability in the fashion world, I think it's starting to become much more of a conversational topic. I know that I've been seeing so much more awareness in the space, especially in Instagram and social media. But I don't think that the work and that the follow through and the education from the consumer standpoint is still there. Um, you know, I think you can correlate it to what happened in the food industry, how everyone started to learn about what's organic, what's not organic, what does that mean, what is genetically modified. And then in the beauty industry, I think that's what's happening right now that you have everybody interested in what they're putting on their skin. They've, they've worried about what they put in their body and now they're worried about what they put on their body as far as their skin and their products. And there's some great brands that are really spearheading the clean beauty movement. And I think what's next is really what you're what you're contributing to as far as an ecosystem and what you're wearing and the fashion side of it, I feel like it has to follow. I feel like the fashion industry, if anything, over the last couple months is coming to the forefront of just how damaging it can be from everything from the way mass produced fast fashion, the damage that it's done from the work in third world countries to those manufacturing plants over there and what it does to the environment, what it does to uh, just 
just the whole system. It just is one that eventually is going to catch up with itself and it's kind of going to crumble. It's a very disposable based system and it just doesn't seem something that's sustainable. So I, I, I love being a part of this conversation and, and really helping to drive awareness to it because back in the day, I, I don't, I wasn't thinking sustainability. I just knew that I was sick of buying clothes that I could only wear a few times and I ended up throwing out. And, uh, you know, I was also in my 20s, so I was starting to make a little bit of money because it's not cheap to shop sustainable. It's like, it's not, it's not cheap to shop organic or to buy cute, clean products. So there's an investment needed on behalf of the consumer. And that's why education is needed. Absolutely. I think, you know, there are millions of farmers across the globe that are becoming, um, you know, that the toxic use of fertilizers and pesticides is becoming a health issue. It's part of the global warming issue. Um, It's obviously not ethical. So I don't think people drop down into their garments in the same way that they do with the food that they're buying or the now the skincare products. So, you know, we have a really great opportunity um, through podcasting and definitely through my business model and and what you're doing to to educate people and bring them another level of awareness. And then another way that they can change and modify some small behaviors, because you're right, um, buying sustainable fashion and handmade knits or other pieces is an investment. It's a piece of art, but you're going to wear it. It's like a wearable art piece. You're going to have it for a long time if you care for it properly and Mm -hmm. it becomes part of your signature style. But we have to, we have to move the needle on owning lots and lots of things with lots and lots of variety that are very cheap and cheaply made is actually not as good as people think it is. It's much, much better to have a more curated wardrobe and closet with really cool things that have stories behind them and you know the maker. Um, so it's just kind of shifting the consumer awareness, getting them to understand, like tell us a little bit about the materials you use, the actual yarn, the actual fiber. Yeah, um, fiber, I mean, there's so many types of fibers. And I think that has been something that's been such a good educational experience from my perspective as a knitwear business. <laughs> like that's the, the ground foundation of everything that we do. It's the materials and fibers essentially can come from many different sources. You have natural fibers, which are, you know, your cotton, your plant-based or animal, which is your wool and your sheep that can range from um, cashmere goats to merino sheep to alpaca. Um, and then on the plant side, you have cottons, you have linen, you, you know, you have hemp, you have all these really cool um, components that can start to create different fibers and they all make, and then you can start to blend them and that kind of starts to take on a world of its own. And then on the flip side, you have synthetic, which are man-made pro- um, products like acrylics and nylons and polys and stuff like that. And, um, you know, there's always a give and take to every fiber. Every fiber is going to have things that are really great about it. It might require more care. It might require dry clean, hand wash. It might um, it might be heavier and more dense. It may only work with certain styles or fabrics. So there's really so much that goes into the design side of being um, a fashion producer and manufacturer and designer that you have to take into consideration when thinking of the garments. Um, how they're going to wear, how they're going to wear over time, how you have to care for them, um, you know, and, 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 va- and the value that correlates 
to, you know, is that mean that this sweater is going to hang in your closet for hopefully five plus years. So it's, it's very interesting to think about the construction of fibers. The thing that I think is really cool is that there's been a lot of technology in the space more recently in the last five years or so, I feel like, and this whole introduction of recycled fibers or really starting to take a look at the whole ecosystem from a, like a farm to, to, to fiber component. There's a lot of work being done with it and there's a lot of companies, especially here in the States, I'm starting to see more of it. Unfortunately, the United States is not a leader when it comes to manufacturing. Um, it's, it's really kind of lacking as far as the supply chain goes, which is why you have to go overseas, which then starts to defeat the purpose if you're trying to be sustainable and more local. But then if you have to go all the way across the globe to get your fibers and then ship them, you know, the whole cycle starts to like counteract itself. So it's always a give and take. You kind of have to look at it. And, and then going back to the durability and wearability of it is like sometimes you might need a cut of poly in a fiber to make it make sure that, you know, you can wash it and wear it. So um, there's so much that goes into that. It's kind of like thinking about your food and where it comes from and, you know, does it have pesticides? Does it not have pesticides? <laughs> it's a very interesting um, way to think about it. And I don't think that people have ever had to think um, that deeply about the things they put on their body because you can get a t-shirt for $2. You know, you can go to H&M and get a dress for $22 and not think about the materials and labor that has gone into it. I always try to educate my clients and not to guilt them, but I do tell them, you know, watch the movie, The True Cost, just mm -hmm. to put some of these concepts into a framework and start to understand um, why it is important to make sustainable options and to be somewhat aware of what you're purchasing, what kind of materials and fibers are you purchasing, what kind of fabrics, what are the threads like, what are the dyes like. Um, so just, you know, moving them toward a more conscious shopping experience. And I will say, I bought one beautiful hat from Third Piece, a winter hat, and I made sure I loved the color and it has this great little fur pom-pom on top. And I've had that for years. And that's the winter hat. That's what I wear all winter long. I don't need to have six different colors and different styles that are all fast fashion oriented. I chose one beautiful hand-knit piece and I invested in it. And I think just shifting people's consciousness toward making those kinds of decisions if we can just stop moving that conversation along, I feel like we're doing something right. Totally. Something that comes to mind when you said that also is the minimalist documentary. I think I watched it like three times. Um, I've always been a pretty conservative shopper. Like I don't, I shop like seasonally. And when I shop, I usually like throw down and I'll buy, I'll buy like three pairs of denim, five, but I buy like seasonally. I kind of like would shop. In, in like tranches um but when i watched the min minimalist documentary that was kind of like this very interesting concept of a lifestyle that's really built around thoughtfulness and really being intentional with the things from um just, just like a mindset you know when you fill your life with clutter or things that are unnecessary it starts to kind of take over and there's that's like the whole psychology side of it but i think that when you talk about thinking about customers and the way that they shop um, you know, it is a like a quality over quantity. You don't you don't need seventeen sweaters. You just need one or two really good ones. 
And if you buy the right material, you know, you can care for them. And like you said about your hat, they should last years and you can take, and even if, you know, it go, you get it wet or if it gets a little bit of wear and tear in it, like you can, you can just give it like a little haircut. Like that's the beauty of wool is that if it gets distorted or if it gets dirty, the care is a little bit more work, but like with a simple wool shaver, with like a sweater shaver, you can turn that thing back to new in no time. So it's, it's really amazing. And you can't do that with acrylic. Like you can't do that with a synthetic fiber. You can only do that with a natural fiber. So it's, um, that's an interesting part that I think a lot of consumers don't understand is how to care for things. And I think that's what scares them. Right. And the acrylics and the synthetics are, um, they look great when you buy them in the store, but you wear them a couple of times. And if you have to launder it, it starts to lose its shininess. (laughs) It doesn't have the qualities um, to be long lasting because it is fast fashion. Um, And so you're, you're making that purchase over and over again, and you're then discarding the former seasons purchases over and over again. Thus Mm -hmm. we get this huge amount of waste in the landfills. I think for me, um, one of the things I've been trying to educate uh, my prospective clients about is I I do call myself a wardrobe coach, but what does that mean? It, It is a new service. A lot of regular women don't have stylists or coaches in this arena and they think that I'm going to take them out and we're going to shop and we're going to buy all new things. And that's not my business model. My business model is getting into the closet of the client and looking at everything they already have. And maybe they don't have sustainable brands in their closet, but maybe if they learn how to use what they've already invested in and use it better and stop buying as much, they can start buying a few pieces to add in and round out their wardrobe that are more sustainable, more quality oriented, and they can get a feel for it without having to get rid of everything they own and start afresh because that's not realistic. Yeah, exactly. Tell us a little bit about your actual design, you know, the process of creating some of the knits that you sell and then the um, knit kits that people can get hold of and start trying to create their own piece of fashion. Yeah. Um, the design process has really been the focus of, um, it's been my focus for the last couple of years. I've ventured out on my own uh, since 2017 and that's where, um, you know, not having a fashion background, trying to figure out what I want the brand and the concept and the company to be like, I, you know, I wanted it to be a a company that was based around design, you know, design is ingrained in our DNA, because I think that when people think about either knitwear and sustainable, sustainable fashion, it's not always put in a stylish way. It can often either be something that either feels knitting particularly can feel very grandma or very crafty. And then sustainable fashion can also feel like a little earthy crunchy or something that might not be as fashion forward. So there really wasn't anything that felt modern or fresh that I was seeing in the marketplace. Um, And then to tie into the sustainability and just being able to deliver and execute in a way that felt harmonious with where I was at with the business, I really started thinking about design on a product basis, not a collection basis. So a traditional fashion brand 
most likely developed anywhere from two to six collections a season. And that can compose composed of many different articles of garments of which they are designing months, if not years ahead of time before they launch it and bring it to market. Our design process is, is really tight. It, you know, we're designing anywhere from three to six months out, sometimes sooner. We've turned designs around sometimes in 45 days, but the design process is really built around fiber first. We think of the fiber that we are either working with, that we have on hand or that we have access to because the supply chain in fibers is one that takes a lot of time and in, lead time to develop and manufacture. So we try to run it very efficiently and sustainably on that front. So we start with the fiber. We start with taking a look at how we feel it should be manipulated. Is it something that should be knit on bigger needles, looser needles? Is it, can it take pattern work? Does the fiber lend itself to drape? Is it a sweater fabric? Is it best for accessories? We try to really just think of the, the fabric in what it makes most sense to it, which is a very interesting way to think about it. Um, so after we kind of fine tune what fabrics we want to work with or that we're going to be working with, we start thinking about what's missing from our collection or what's missing from our wardrobe. Um, I think we started out as an accessory company and really honed in on hats and scarves and cold weather gear. And so my real objective over the last two years and after hearing to hearing from women is that they wanted things that were lighter. They wanted knitwear pieces that um, weren't so chunky, that felt a little bit more lightweight, that felt a little bit more breathable, that weren't going to add any extra bulk. They were looking for things that felt um, a little bit more flexible to the body. So that really was a huge challenge for me because we were dealing with super chunky knits for so many years, which um, super chunky knits are a little bit more forgiving and they really only lend themselves to accessories because most women don't want to put an extra inch of garment on their body. <laughs> so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so thinking about how we could start integrating lighter weight cottons, lighter weight wools, lighter weight um, fabrics into the mix was really kind of starting back at the drawing board for me from a design perspective. So I've just worked to really bring in an, a team around me that understands garments, construction, pattern work, and, and really start on a piece-by-piece -piece basis, we take a look and we say, and we also take a look and see what's going on in the market. Like, we're really loving vests this season. Vests to us feel like the ultimate war wardrobe kind of upgrade. You can work with what you already got. It's true to what a third piece is. I don't think I mentioned this, so a third piece is the piece that completes your look. So you have your pants, your top, and your third piece is the thing that pulls it all together. So for us, like the vest, for example, you could take the simplest dress or a pair of denim and a little blouse that's probably been sitting in your closet forever. And if you just throw the right vest over it, it, it just pulls it, pulls it all in. And there you go. And you don't necessarily have to go out and start fresh. You can work with what you've already got and, and really kind of think about it from a wearability standpoint, a functionality standpoint, and, and also like the value, like how, how long, like can we create garments that feel on trend, feel stylish, but also feel timeless at the same time? Because nobody wants anything that's too trendy. Like you don't want to wear something and know that by next season, you're going to be sick of that look. So that's super important as well. I have to say the Sarah vest is amazing. I'm lusting after this vest. Um, yeah. It is such a classic silhouette and a classic item as you've described and I can think of about a hundred ways to style it so you're buying one item 
maybe at a price point that's a little bit of a reach for you, but that piece can get dressed up. It can get dressed down. It's the ultimate third piece. It's that layer that can refresh all of the things in your closet for fall that you're maybe lukewarm about. It can bring like a different element to it. It can be belted. It's just an incredible, incredible piece. Yeah, thank you. That's the piece that we're most excited about. Um, We've been talking about doing a duster forever. And like a duster is essentially, I'm sure, Lisa, you know what it is, but a garment that, um, a longer type of garment where it goes down past your knees. But um, we you know, it's hand knit. So if you're doing a duster, if you're talking about doing a garment that's going to go like down past your thigh, the amount of fabric it's going to take, like you said, it is a little bit of an investment because there's a lot of fabric and labor and uh, material and technique that goes into these garments. Um, And that's always like the the trade-off is that we want to design all these things, but the reality of consumers being able or wrapping their head around the price point to, to kind of justify the, you know, the purchase, it's a balance between that. But like you said, with the Saravest, it's something that felt timeless to us. It felt like, you know, whether you were 28 on your, I would say back in the day when you were on your office, on your way to your office job, or now working from home, or if you are a 65-year-old woman that is, you know, going out to dinner with her husband and her grandchildren, you know, you it's really versatile as far as the type of woman that can wear it and where she can wear it to, which is so important these days. One of the things that you know, is often written about or you hear feedback about with regard to brands that are sustainable is not all women feel represented um, from an inclusion standpoint. The sizing is tricky. Mm -hmm. So people tend to see it kind of top off, like maybe at a size 10, 12. And we do have a whole um, body of people that have some buying power that are, you know, upper of that sizing. So talk a little bit about what you see in regard to that issue that keeps coming up. Uh, This really started to become something that I was learning a lot more about once we started getting into garments. Because when you do accessories, you don't have to worry. Like accessories fit everybody. Like a hat doesn't matter what what your waist is. Anyone can wear a hat or a scarf. But once you start talking about wanting to be a sweater designer, you really have to understand women and, and their bodies and the way they feel in their bodies and what clothes do to them as far as, you know, making them feel confident, making them feel comfortable. So sizing is, is everything. We take a look at sizing and we started out doing kind of a European, we do size one, two, three. Um, you know, our garments are meant to be layering pieces where they're a little bit more oversized, a little bit more exaggerated armholes, maybe slits up the side that makes them feel a little bit more forgiving. Um, the sizes range, like a size one is typically like a two to a six. A size two is typically an eight to a 12. And a size three is typically a 12 to a 16. Um, the beauty of what we do, though, is especially with our garments, they're made to order. So if you're a woman that's tall and you just want a little bit of extra length, then, you know, whenever we do a made to order sweater, we typically will at least cross check the sizing and we highly encourage our customers to at least have a conversation with us or at least confirm the sizing before we go ahead and kick it off to our knitting team to, you know, let us know, like if you're a little bit tinier and you want it a little bit on the shorter side, that's the beauty of it being handmade and hand knit that we can control those and you're really getting a garment that's customized and personalized for you in a way that 
really will make you feel super comfortable and confident in moving forward with the purchase. And that's on like that's on our made by us collection side when we're making it. The other super unique thing about our business that I haven't really talked a whole lot about is that anybody can make them. So we essentially give away our secret sauce. Any of our knitwear garments, you can purchase as a knit kit. Um, you can buy the yarn, you can buy the pattern. We have classes. Um, you know, that is really where our business has evolved over the last couple of years and making us a super differentiator in the space. Like we want our customers to not only know where their clothes are coming from, but to encourage them to try to make them themselves. And if you're making it yourself, you can totally go crazy with it. You can make it short in the front, long in the back. You can really kind of customize however you want it to be when you're making it yourself. So um, I think the inclusivity of sizing, like you said, Lisa, it is something that, you know, I'm, I'm not a tiny girl. I just had a baby. You know, I, I've struggled, struggled with body issues most of my life. So I think that, you know, I don't like the thought of like going into double digits as a consumer when I, you know, when I, after I have my baby, I, 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 I wanted to take a sizing approach that didn't feel intimidating, that felt inclusive and that, um, you know, didn't deter people. Like there's nothing worse than feeling like you can't belong to a brand or you can't wear a brand because of sizing. Like I, I just, I know I felt that way. Like I've walked into stores and when they only carry like 25, 25 or 26 jeans, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't a store for me because I have hips. So, um, you know, I, I would never want to do that to somebody. So I love it. I love that you, you have that sort of awareness baked in and is that such a huge, a huge issue. The issue of women being even vulnerable going into a store because of that whole size structure that we've created in this, this fashion industry. That's not even real. Yeah. It, it really, you know, doesn't correlate to real women. Um, and, you know, I think there's an age issue as well. You know, as a middle-aged woman, I, I don't often walk into a store where I feel like I'm represented in the store. Yeah. Um, that's just a fashion industry issue as well. Absolutely. And so it's, it's nice that you're creating, and I hope I have the address right down, right down on Tremont Street at 631 Tremont in Boston, a community space, a place where you can go in as a maker. Um, if you're a person who is making great garments for yourself, sewing and knitting, you can go in and, and get a lot of cool ideas and patterns and yarn, but you can also go in and order your your Sarah vest to be made if you're not a knitter. I love that, that cross of over of the community. Yeah. That, I mean, that's exactly when I took the risk to open up a retail store. It really was something that I felt was really lacking from a shopping experience. And I did pop up for a couple of years. And then when the business was going through a couple of changes and I, I was like, I'm going to open a store. I, I, I needed a home. You know, I knew that I was working on a concept that, felt really exciting and really fresh that the city of Boston would really benefit from. So I decided to throw down roots here in the South end for a couple of years and, and just see, see what happened. And really the, there's been an overwhelming response on both sides. You know, we, like you said, we've got the women that come in that just really appreciate a handmade garment. They love coming in, getting their measurements done and getting to like pick the fibers, like feel the fibers, see them try on samples. And then it's a bit of a showroom style. And then on the knitting side, you get to come in. It's very modern, inviting. I, you know, I, I put a lot of effort into the aesthetic. I wanted it to feel very 
fresh but inviting at the same time and whenever people come in they're always like oh this store's so beautiful or this, this space just feels so welcoming I, like it gives me goosebumps because that's exactly what I wanted I wanted it to feel approachable I wanted everyone to feel like they could come in here I, like it didn't matter how much like what size you were how much money you had in your wallet like I really wanted it to be a place that people could come and you could make something you could shop you could at least take away a component of what we are trying to do here at third keys and be like wow like that's that's kind of a cool concept i haven't really seen anything like that before so um doing that in a retail setting you can't really do it online you can really need to be kind of in a brick and mortar or in front of somebody to articulate it and, and say it verbally at least in a way where you don't confuse people i feel like it's a must visit for all bostonians you know go down and visit and, and you just feel so good in that space and then for people coming into boston put it on your list because it's it's just a fun welcoming great space with great design and it can be your entree point into the journey of learning about handmade product and starting to maybe acquire a taste for that. Yeah. So with the pandemic, things have definitely changed a little bit. And the store is not not what it was six months ago, unfortunately. Um, our, we had a dedicated classroom and basically the store has kind of become our warehouse. We do have a small area that is our showroom now. Um, but I will say that the last couple of months has really turned all of us small business owners for a loop and we're all kind of questioning what the new world going forward can look like for us. Um, you know, the retail side of the business is one that remains a big question for me. Um, and it's, we're still here. I will say we're still here. We're going to be here through the holidays. So I know that this is going to come out um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks and we'll definitely be here through the holidays. But um, this is kind of the first time I've said this. So I wanted to just share it with you that I, I, I have a feeling that come January, I'm probably going to move the bulk of my business online and try to figure out what the retail component of my business is going to look like. So, Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. I don't think that's unusual. And I don't think that that's um, actually a bad thing. I think yeah. reinvention and remaining true to our all of our visions is where we need to be right now. I know from my business... I am no longer going into people's homes to do their mm -hmm. um, their services. I'm doing it using these virtual platforms and it's been working great. And in some cases, I think it's eliminating some of the vulnerability um, that women may have felt having me right in their homes with them, in their bedrooms, in their closets or dressing spaces. Um, so it does give them a little bit more control because they're they're able to control what I see using the virtual technology. So COVID is definitely not a good thing, but I think some good things have um, emerged from it and some new ways of being in business. Yeah, I, I think that I'm trying to be glass half full and pretty optimistic about it because this store was really kind of my first baby. And I actually, I signed a lease and then I found out a month later I was pregnant. So it all, like that year was just kind of like a big, a really big personal and professional year for me. Um, so when I really started to come to grips with the fact that the overhead and just the overall direction, you know, I, it was, it was a lot. It was, you know, it was, it was probably one of the bigger business decisions I've had to kind of wrap my head around. And I, I literally just kind of got off the, the email chain with my landlord and my attorney yesterday to try to figure out what the next steps are going to be with the, with the lease. So, 
Um, it's all kind of new, but the last couple months have showed me that online really, really can work and your reach is a lot, a lot larger. And, you know, retail will always be here. I will have a new home and I will be able to have a place that has a showroom component and will invite customers back. I don't have details of that yet. It's obviously very new. And, um, but eventually that, that is my goal is to just figure out how to, balance out what this new world is going to look like for us and, and I'm sure every small business owner or anyone that's doing any type of independent work we're all kind of questioning like what's worth our time what's worth our money what's worth our energy and and how can we continue to deliver value to our customers in a way that keeps us relevant and, and alive and in business. I love that you've shared that with us I think so many people um we just all need to be holding space for one another right now yeah. with uh, a lot of grace and dignity and um, helping each other to make some of these decisions less painful. I can only imagine, as you said, um, cooking up this this space was like such a, a, a birthing experience while mm-hmm. you're also having little Teddy. So yeah. <laughs> it, it is hard and we need to acknowledge that it's hard and we need to, as... Um, as female business owners, I think we we need to all rally around each other. And this entrepreneurial journey, um, the more you succeed, I succeed. The more I succeed, you succeed. And I love bringing women on this show that have that inspiration and that at the core of what they're doing, they really want to uplift and support other women. Um, it was interesting, Kristen, and we'll start winding down. I, I'd like to just ask about your grandmother. Because I, I hadn't realized she was in your life in this way. And, and just let's honor her for a moment and talk about her a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've never really talked about her. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. she, she adopted me. My, my mom had me at a young age. And she kind of stepped in and adopted me and raised me as if I was her own. Um, you know, she was a very tough, old French-Canadian woman. And the only way I can describe her is that mm-hmm. um, on the exterior, she was cold as ice, but inside she really did have a, a heart of gold and she had the best of intentions. Um, her delivery was always very grateful. She was, she was very hard on me and she was always very um, diligent with forcing me to like really take my education very seriously. Um, she was a bit of a perfectionist. You know, I can think of all the things that might not sound that positive, but she made me who I am and I wouldn't be the woman that I am today if I didn't if I didn't have that experience, you know, she, she overcame a lot. Um, you know, she was one of the strongest people I know. And she, you know, she, she just kept going. Like she just never stopped. She never complained. She just kept going. And I think that that is um, a quality about myself that I think that I have um, absorbed from her because we, we grew up in a, in a very adverse kind of environment. Um, you know, my grandfather passed away. He was an alcoholic and, and it was just kind of us. And then when I went off to college, um, it was kind of like her moment where I felt like she, she felt like she accomplished something. She put so much into me. Mm, and um, I, you know, I, I was always very appreciative of that. And she just had very high expectations of me and made me the woman that I am today. So amazing. You know, as Kristen describes this, uh, it reminds me of my own upbringing. And, you know, I had the uh, Italian-American experience coming up. And, um, you know, we were taught, uh, my grandmother was from the Depression era, that you bought the things you needed to buy and you, you, you tried to buy them well and, and keep them well. 
And um, I think that some of those values really speak to why I love artisan made and handmade and why I like to support local and small business. So our grandmothers did well, I think, in, yeah. in shaping us, yeah. for sure. So Kristen, let's um, just tell us all about how we can reach you through your various social media or your website. Um, so let's, let's give people a way to engage. Yes. So um, you can find all of our latest happenings um, for Third Piece at thirdpiece.com or through our Instagram, which is at thirdpiece underscore. Um, you know, we're rolling out designs every few weeks, as well as we have our core signature collections for fall, winter, which is what we're known for, our chunky knits. Um, we're really doing a, a huge push to teach everybody to knit. We really think that with the craziness going on in the world, there's no better time to learn a craft like knitting. It has so many benefits from creativity to mindfulness. So we um, are really pushing our online knitting classes as an experience for anyone and everyone to give a try. Um, for me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on there a lot. My Instagram is Kristen Lambert. You can find me there or Kristen at Third Piece. I love to connect with other business owners. Um, you know, if you're starting out, if you're trying to figure out what to do, like I'm literally, this is probably going to be my, you know, once the store winds down, this is probably going to be my sixth business iteration or pivot in this business. Um, I've really kind of been through it all. So, uh, you know, I have some words of wisdom if anyone's looking to figure out what their next chapter is going to look like. Um, I always love to connect and, and chat just like we did, Lisa. I love it. I love it. Do um, Jay or Teddy know how to knit? No, not te not Teddy yet, but I do. Teddy, Teddy's a very high energy kid, so I feel like knitting would be such a great thing for him. What like eight years old is the great, like the perfect age for kids looking to knit, um, especially very active little boys. I think that knitting is a really great exercise for them to kind of like focus in on something. Um, mm. My husband. My, my husband, he, he also has a very big personality, so um, he's just like a sports fanatic, like golf, football, TV sports, like, so, that, so that's, he's, how yeah. he, that, that's how he spends his downtime. That's his downtime. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to be ordering my Sarah vest and uh, it will have to be made to order for my measurements. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to tell a lot of my clients about that piece because I think it's just so key and I'm just loving it. So this was so much fun. I love having uh, sustainability as our core um, conversation for the season two that we're in. Uh, I want to shout out to my producer, Jay Foss. Always a pleasure to work with Jay. And uh, thanks so much, Kristen. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. This is, this is really nice. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat and talk more. To find out more about Lisa's sustainable style, check out lasswardrobe.com.